This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday the 17th of December. And Norman, overnight suddenly there's cases in New South Wales again. So we heard yesterday that a man who works at the Sydney airport has tested positive to coronavirus. And this is someone who shuttles, um, drives a shuttle bus that takes air crews from international flights to and from the airport. And he got COVID and it's no good, but it's not uh, a massive surprise. But then a really big surprise sort of popped out of the blue where two people from Sydney's northern beaches have also tested positive for COVID. And there doesn't seem to be any links to known cases so far, which is a lot more of a worry. So so how worried should we be that there's been COVID circulating under the radar in Sydney for some time? Well, if indeed that's the case, I mean, it's possible that it's been there and circulating and popped up. Uh, let's just start with the the driver. Apparently, he's been very cooperative, and the uh, the owners of the company who were who did the transportation of these air crews have been cooperative as well. Apparently, there's been mask wearing, but it's not entirely clear. By the way, we. Uh, when we are talking about this on this episode of the Coronacast, we don't have all the information, so more information may emerge by the time you listen to this Coronacast. But certainly, it's unclear. And I think that what's going on there is that the minister, Brad Hazard, in his press conference yesterday alluded to this, that probably the rules for air crews are not as tight as they are for people arriving from overseas, Australians returning from overseas, going into two weeks of hotel quarantine. And maybe the testing of people who come in contact with them is not as regular as it should be. I suspect that there's um, that the there's a chink in the armour when it comes to air crews because we had that lady a couple of weeks ago who got infected almost certainly from air crew. That's at least what the genomics of the virus tells you. So there is a problem there. New South Wales is taking more than its fair share of the burden of people coming from overseas. So it, you know, it is a stressed system, but nonetheless, that needs to be tightened up. Now you've got the, these two people, uh, older people, in the, who apparently have had close contact with each other in the northern beaches of Sydney. And it's not clear who they've had contact with. It's just a little bit of a coincidence. So the guy who was driving the bus apparently got symptoms on Saturday. So that's a few days before he got tested and he'd been infectious for a few days before that. Who knows what social networks that person was in. I wouldn't be surprised if the contact tracers find that there is a circuitous connection between these two cases. But, you know, you never know. You've got no idea what's going on here. And it could be just a surprise that there's been virus under the surface and it's popped up. It's just a bit of a coincidence that it's in the same week that this happens. Yeah, so with these mystery cases then, Norman, how worried should we be? Do you think that it's going to turn out that they're just linked? I think we should be worried. We should be worried that there's a chink in the armour with overseas air crews and we should be worried that these cases pop up. Very worried. But I'm sure that the contact tracers in New South Wales are right onto it and really trying to track this down and they'll already be doing the genomics to try and find out uh, how to actually uh, where these viruses came from. And there's been some innovations in Australian genomics where in fact they can short circuit the genomics and not wait two or three days. So let's see what happens there. So it's, it's not huge panic yet, but if you start to get other cases popping up when they do mass testing in the northern beaches, then you start to get worried. But hopefully they can track this down. So in addition to the worry that there's going to be an outbreak in New South Wales, I'm sure there's also going to be lots of people who are planning travel for Christmas that are now worried that borders are going to slam shut again. How likely is that? I think it's unlikely for Victoria. 
Queensland has said, suggested that it's a bit relaxed about when, when cases like this pop up, but they're watching this closely. WA would be the twitchiest uh, state in Australia, and it wouldn't take much for WA to close its borders again. Just as I was opening my airline app to buy a <laughs> ticket to Perth to go out to Rottnest. The quackers, they're going to miss you, Norman. They'll not miss me a moment, and I won't miss them, but I will miss Rottnest, so I've had to actually take my fingers off the app and wait. So you talked before about the number of people who do and don't transmit the virus, and there's been a paper that's come out talking about the types of settings where people are more or less likely to pass on the virus. Yeah, this is a, this was a review of 54 studies of 80,000 people looking at what's called the secondary attack rate in homes. So that's the extent to which you pa- you're likely to pass on the infection if you take it home. And it was about 16%. And that's a much higher secondary attack rate. In other words, this virus is more likely to be passed on at home than the SARS-1 virus and the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome virus, the MERS virus. So what's been known intuitively and from data up till now, which is that home is the highest risk area for passing this on, that's certainly true and confirmed by by this study. And what they also found was that if you were symptomatic, you are more likely to pass it on than if you were asymptomatic and you're more likely to pass it on to adults than to children and to spouses rather than other family contacts. So it makes sense. Common sense plays out here. There's nothing really terribly surprising about this, but it just shows you that this is a virus that spreads at home and um, when you're in close contact with people for an extended periods of time. That is interesting about being less likely to pass it on if you're asymptomatic, because that is something that we've gotten a lot of questions about, whether someone who's asymptomatic, whether or not they're just as infectious as someone who does have symptoms. And I think the balance of information right through, and we've done this a few times, covered this a few times on Coronacast, is that asymptomatic people are certainly infectious. They're a bit less infectious than symptomatic people. That's not new. They seem to shed less virus. But because there are so many of them compared to symptomatic people, they're public health effect is actually really quite great. So individually, the risk is lower, but because there's so many asymptomatic or low-symptom people around, then they have a much bigger impact on spread than people who are symptomatic. There's actually a question just on that about the vaccine. Um, Someone in Victoria is asking, if a vaccine is only 90% effective at stopping disease but not the spread, then how does it differ from having no vaccine when we know the majority of people who have coronavirus remained largely symptom-free? Well, it's about protecting people from getting the disease. It's a lottery. Young people do get the disease. Young people do die. It's rare. Older people, obviously, are, are, are at much higher risk. And therefore, you, um, you just want everybody as maximally protected against the disease because of the random nature of it. Let's assume for a moment that the vaccine does not prevent transmission, which is really uh, the implication of this question. And therefore, why would you bother? So why you bother is that you want to turn COVID-19 into the common cold. You do not want it to be this fatal condition, which also causes a long-term disease as well, long COVID. And that's hopefully what the vaccine does. It certainly prevents disease. It seems they seem to, the vaccine so far seem to prevent severe disease, yet to be shown that they prevent long COVID, but that, I think that's highly likely that they will. 
And because long COVID, for example, can occur in young people who've only had mild symptoms, then you want everybody to be immunised so that the impact of the virus when you get it is minimal. And yes, the virus will still circulate and people who've not been immunised will be vulnerable. But it's better than having no vaccine because if you're vulnerable, it's a lottery. Just staying on vaccines, we've got a question from Madeline, which I think is assuming the opposite thing, assuming that the vaccine does prevent transmission, because she's asking, how long will it take to have everyone moving freely around again after being vaccinated? Is it if 100 people are vaccinated or if a million people are vaccinated? What's the number? Well, it's not a number. It's really a percentage. And the percentage is between 60 and 70% of the population is the calculation to get what's called herd immunity, assuming that transmission is prevented by the vaccines. So if you've got 60 or 70% immunised with immunity, and in any event, 80% who get the virus don't spread it, then this, that will drive the virus down to very, very low levels in the community. And a question from Lynn and George saying, Hi, Tegan and Norman. Thank you so much for your ongoing info about this virus. Will you be broadcasting Coronacast through the holiday period? We need you. Well, Norman, what do we need? <laughs> we understand you might need us, but we need a holiday. Yeah. And what we had a conversation, just to be absolutely transparent with our Coronacast audience, we, we had a discussion about this, about whether we actually powered through or whether we did it a couple of times a week or once a week and this sort of thing. And our conclusion was, and it'd be interesting to get your view on this, by the way, because we'll have to think about next year as well, mm. is uh, when we come back, is our view was that one of the strengths of Coronacast was that it was daily. So you get a quick you get a quick hit every day and we try and give you the key information and bring you up to date and bust some myths and ask you, answer your questions. And we're still getting heaps and heaps of questions. However, we thought rather than going half-cocked over the holiday period to try and give us a bit of a rest, we we're going to take three weeks off. And so it'll just be, you know, cold turkey, three weeks off uh, from Christmas Eve. So our last program, our last podcast will be Christmas Eve and we'll come back on the Monday, the 18th of January. If something huge happens between that, if we can find Will Ockenden in the <laughs> highlands of Tasmania, we will drag him back and we will do a special Corona cast. But other than that, we're going to be sleeping in, having a snooze, reading and going to the beach. And maybe even playing with quokkas while I'm playing with quokkas. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. Fingers crossed. So that means you've got a week, folks, to get your questions into us. Go to abc.net.au slash coronacast. Click on Ask Your Questions and mention Coronacast so that we can find it. But, of course, like Norman said, we'll be back on the 18th of January. And we'll be back tomorrow, which is when we'll see you next. That's right. See you then. <laughs> 